Welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. I'm Mina B, and I'm a licensed social worker, mental health educator, and author of Owning Our Struggles. I'll be chatting with experts, wellness advocates, and others about the power of community care in improving your mental health. We'll delve into topics such as friendships, managing difficult relationships, and most importantly, how to cultivate belonging and support in our lives. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Anita Yakota is a licensed marriage and family therapist turned interior designer and author of the best-selling book, Home Therapy. She believes design and wellness go hand-in-hand in our homes. Domino named Anita's site the best new design blog in 2017, and her work has been featured on Good Morning America, My Domain, Apartment Therapy, Real Simple, Oprah Daily, and many others. Anita lives in Southern California with her husband, their three daughters, and their dogs, Teddy and Tater Tot, or Tate, as Anita calls him, because she lost the family name vote. Hi, Anita. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mina. I'm so excited to be here with you and your listeners. Of course. I'm so excited to have you as well because I am so intrigued by the work that you do and me being a social worker and former therapist. Knowing a little more about you and your work has been so eye-opening and wonderful. And so I'm really excited to honestly just jump into this conversation because I'm really eager to know (laughs) about your transition from being a licensed marriage and family therapist into becoming an interior designer. Well, it's a fun and adventurous road that I've been on. Like you mentioned, I've been a licensed marriage and family therapist for 20 years. And so in those sessions and my FaceTime with clients, I helped make sense of their story. And now as an interior designer, creatively, I help them tell it in their own homes. And so for me, it's just super exciting. It's my passion to really level up their awareness of how they can feel happier, calmer at home using interior design as a home therapy tool. Mm. So can you tell us a little more about how those two fields come together? What from your background as a therapist has influenced your work as an interior designer? And now that you are helping people create these beautiful homes, how does that also interconnect with the psychology field that you worked in? Well, even way, way back as a psychologist intern, I did a lot of home visits. So one of the first things that I learned to do and that they taught interns to do is observe the emotional climate of the home. And so I'd walk in to a variety of homes. I worked in LA. So my catchment area was from Compton all the way up north to Malibu. It was like the whole gamut, right? Different people, homes, personalities, family dynamics, but it taught me so much of how our home environment can really affect our mood. It can really affect our relationships that live in it. I would walk into a front entry of a small apartment or a larger home, and I would just kind of make an observation, you know, even before talking to 
the people who lived in it, if you saw a really messy front entry with shoes, backpacks, you know, and just chaos and dogs barking, or the other end of the spectrum is a very sterile home where it's almost too organized or too clean. And it feels like, is anyone living here, you know? So the emotional climate really informed me as a therapist of not only what the family needed emotionally, but also physically. So I found myself helping people organize their front entries as I was doing therapy with them. Even when I was in the office, I would talk about teenage bedrooms, what was accessible, what boundaries, you know, for the parents and the teenagers, we had to negotiate. Is it closed door all the time? Is it open door policy? There were so many interior design elements that could help them communicate better with each other and with themselves at home that slowly but surely I developed my own interior design method, helping clients not only better their homes from a physical standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint as well. Wow. I love that. Is there any particular themes that you can share with us that when you walk into someone's home, you immediately know, like, on an emotional level, I can see something is happening here and it's translating to how the space is being manufactured. So I'm just curious to know, like, what does it look like the moment you walk in a house and start your work? Well, I always try to have a very open mind, right? So I'm really the detective. I put on my little detective hat and I just tell myself, I'm just going to observe. And this is something I tell all my interior design clients as well. You know, if there's a space that really troubles you, or maybe it's even a space that makes you happy, but you want to bring it up a notch, definitely put on your detective hat and just observe a few things, which is the emotional climate, like I mentioned before, the physical climate, which is the surroundings. Like, is it super messy? Is it cluttered? Does it make you feel overwhelmed? So our feelings is a wonderful clue to informing us what is needed, what's out there, and not judging those feelings though, right? So when I walk into somebody's home, I'm not there to judge or to criticize. I'm there to observe, take in that information, and then also inquire with the people who live in that house how does this space make you feel? What are the problem areas that make you feel frustrated, overwhelmed, maybe even a little depressed or hopeless? Or no, this space makes me so happy. I want to make it happier for the rest of my family. It can be a whole gamut of positive and negatives. And then when you analyze all the information, then you can say, oh, wow, we really lack a family game night kind of area. Instead of just that dining room that never gets used, how about using the dining table as a game table? You know, so really thinking of like, how do we elevate the connection at home by using spaces that we forgot about or don't know how to use? And that's where I love coming in and choosing the right table for that intimate conversation or choosing the right bed for the primary bedroom where partners want to connect better. Paint colors, lighting. There's just so many different ways to connect yourself and others at home. 
You brought up so many amazing points because it makes me think of the mental health journey that a lot of people might be struggling with, where it's kind of like this vicious cycle, right? You're dealing with this mental health issue and you see it manifest in the way you're upkeeping with your home, but then your home can also bring up some difficult emotions as well, especially if you feel uncomfortable in your home environment or you're even struggling to maintain your home environment. So I'm curious to know, are there any tips or tricks that you share with people that, for example, if they are struggling with their mental health, maybe they're dealing with depression and they're like, listen, Anita, (laughs) I try to make my bed or I try to keep up with the dirty clothes, but it's just so hard for me. Like, do you find yourself ever sharing some hacks or different tips that people can use to maintain their home when they also realize they're in a low point? Absolutely. In fact, I just woke up this morning full of anxiety. And I was like, where is this coming from? And it was just very overwhelming for me this morning. So I got up and all I could think of is just to go outside with my dog and just walk, like not even have an idea of what it's going to do for me, but literally just walk. So when I am working with clients who tell me, you know, this is my mental health condition right now. I want you to come and help me make my bedroom or make my kitchen something more functional and something where I can really elevate my peace of mind. I want to protect my peace. And the first thing I tell them is our thoughts are so powerful. And it's really crushing those limiting beliefs that we have about ourselves and about our home. Because it's very easy to be in a really tiny New York studio And go, well, that's all great and good, but that's for families who have a bigger house. Or you can do that because you're not renting and I'm renting. So how am I going to paint this color that's going to make me happier? What I love to do is I know those are limiting items that you can't change, but we can be more aware of our thoughts. It's not pushing those thoughts away. But what are some limiting beliefs you have about yourself in your home? For many, many years, I was so scared of nailing even a picture on my wall because I was so perfectionistic about what my home should be like. You know, well, this mommy friend has this beautiful home and I've got three kids with Fisher Price blown up in the family room. Like, (laughs) I'm never going to get there. And I'm on a budget because only my husband works right now. There's only one income. How am I going to get to that home that I love? You know, things like that. So I really had to work on my own limiting beliefs of like, okay, but it doesn't have to be all or nothing. What are just small ways, small wins that we can do in our home? And there's a lot of DIYs that are like transitional fixes. I've used, faux marble countertop contact paper on my kitchen countertops. Wow. That was hugely popular on my social media platforms and Pinterest because when you rip it off, it's like contact paper, no damage. And you can do that on your old yucky bathroom countertops, your kitchen. You can redo a nightstand surface just to renew that. So for me, I think the first hack is tackling your mind and your mindset and acknowledging that you are feeling depressed instead of fighting my anxiety. I just had to accept it. I don't know why I'm anxious, but I am. And then once you accept where you're at, whether it's your mindset or what your home looks like, then 
without judgment, you can think of some small ways, bite-sized ways to make your home look better to the way that you want. Or you can think a little more positive and baby steps and get yourself out of that hole. So I love everything that you just said. One, thank you for the kitchen hack because I have been wanting to remodel my kitchen in a budget-friendly way. And I have never heard of those types of, what did you call it? It's a faux marble. It looks like marble contact paper that you can get on Amazon for 15 bucks. Oh, thank you so much. And you know, a lot of what you said, I deeply resonate with. Like I've been living in my apartment for over five years now. And it's so funny because when I moved into it, I thought it was the biggest space in the world. And then as I grew more into it, and I'll be honest and say the more I started buying more and more clothes and shoes, (laughs) I started to say, I can't live here anymore. It's tiny. It's the tiniest apartment ever. And I understand that feeling sometimes of what you were talking about, where sometimes it's a mindset shift that we need to engage in, where it's like, this is still that wonderful, sacred space that you moved into. And so how can you bring yourself back to that feeling? I also am curious about something that you mentioned earlier. So I had to assist my mother recently with her getting a knee replacement. And as a result of that, I had to live in her home. And her bedroom is the darkest bedroom ever. (laughs) Like, literally, it was driving me crazy. And when I would open the curtains, she's like, please close the curtains. And I am someone who really, really loves natural light. But being in her house, I was just like, oh my gosh, this space feels so depressing. And you just had surgery and you're in a lot of pain. And I feel like the darkness is amplifying that pain even more. And so earlier I heard you talk about something as simple as color and lighting. So can you share with us how that impacts our mood and mental health? Absolutely. So there's tons of research that supports natural light boosting our serotonin and dopamine levels. And that's all great when we go outside. But unfortunately, we spend so much more time inside. And our rooms or our homes, just like your mom's bedroom, is not always conducive to all the natural light we crave or that we need. And so that's where interior design can really help those spaces that lack natural light. There's something that maybe you want to consider giving to your mom. I call it the happy light. It's basically a mood booster light that mimics your circadian rhythm so that it can help you sleep better at night. And then it's not like you have to sit at a desk and absorb the light. You can have it on while you're cooking. And so you're killing two birds with one stone, right? Or as you're reading, you can have the light on. So it's not something like light therapy where it has to be formal and you have to sit there for 20 minutes every day and absorb that light. (laughs) It can be very convenient to wherever you're at. And you know, science and research has proven that can help you balance your brain chemistry, which to me is so important. I mean, especially through the pandemic, I think all of us really realized how our home environment can affect us. And it was during that time that I wrote my book, Home Therapy, and it was really a great time to observe human behavior observe my own human behavior and my family's of like, oh my God, five of us (laughs) in this house. Like, I don't even know how we're going to make it through. Um, I literally was doing yoga in my bathroom. I was meditating. Like my bathroom was my 
holy sanctuary Zen space because there was literally no other space for myself. And I worked out in the bathroom, like it's a small bathroom, but it became a wonderful place. And the reason why is because we had added skylights. It used to be a very dark bathroom. It was very depressing to wake up in the morning in that space. But (laughs) when we did renovate after saving for a long time, the skylights flooded the natural light from above. And so whenever I was anxious or just needed a break from four other beings, I quickly went to the bathroom and just absorbed that natural light, did some meditation and gathered myself in that space. And I realized, oh, I think it's because of the skylights. This room makes me so calm and happy. But paint colors, so white paint, creams, beiges, which are back, by the way, (laughs) are wonderful ways to absorb that light and bounce it back into even a small room. So Color therapy is something that is really fun to explore for your home. And also thinking of windows, your shades, you mentioned sheer versus thicker shades and drapery, like really just being mindful of what you want to get out of that space for you and your family. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Very Well Mind podcast. I'm your host, Mina B. I really like that you're talking about you found a space in your home that was calming and relaxing, and it was honestly just nourishing during that time frame where the world was going through so much. And like you said, you have a house full of people, right? And so what does it look like for me to find my own safe space in my home? And I'm just curious to know, outside of color and light, are there any other specific design elements or techniques that you think people can bring into their home to promote relaxation, especially in our current climate where many people are experiencing burnout or they're working from home? So it's like, Even three years into the pandemic, it's like I'm still trying to figure out where do I work in my home versus where do I relax in my home? So can you give people tips around that? Absolutely. You know, the work from home situation, I work from home as well. And there's news about people having to go back into an office. There's a part of me that's actually very envious of that because (laughs) the lines are not as blurred. Yeah. The thing about working from home is... I'm at my kitchen counter one day or I'm in the living room because other people are eating in the kitchen. Like it feels very nomadic. And even if you have a set place, it gets kind of boring and kind of like, ugh. Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways that I love helping create more productive work from home spaces is first of all, having a space that is bright. And so even if you don't have a window, having that happy light or some kind of mood boosting light So ample lighting, plants, research has shown that the color green and plants improve your memory and concentration and focus. So that definitely increases your productivity level. So having a little plant by your desk is so amazing. It's like a subconscious way of being productive without you even knowing it. (laughs) And organization. So for me, I have a laptop bag and that's where all my devices all my chargers, everything goes at a designated time at the end of the day. So for me, it's about 
2.30 to pick up the kids from school. And then if they are off and I have the help from someone like my husband to take them to their after-school activities, I have a couple more hours to finish up work. But definitely by five, I tell myself I'm done with work. And so I pack everything up and I have a little ritual of putting it in the hallway closet. And when I close that door, I mentally and physically tell myself I'm off duty. So having a work from home ritual, like in the morning, knowing 9 a.m. is my time or 8.30 or whatever it is, and giving yourself structure and a schedule and then organization. Little things like Velcro zip tie things so that you don't feel like your whole work from home area is just full of plugs and devices and really having that structure so that you feel safe and secure. And that's the whole reason why I'm so passionate about using interior design to make us feel happier at home is because as human beings, the reason why we go to therapy is that we're feeling insecure, lost, not knowing how to access our authentic self. Where's the trust in ourselves? Like we just feel really messy. And so the more you can have organized spots in your home and by no means perfection, but really setting yourself up for success through organization, you know, baskets, tray liners in your drawers, things like that automatically calms our mind down. Research has shown, right? Organization decreases that cortisol stress level that we're constantly on a high from. We want to be high from serotonin and dopamine. We want to lower that cortisol level as much as possible. Oh, I love that. One, I feel kind of proud because I have a lot of the things that you shared. So I feel like I'm doing it right. Yes, you are. (laughs) Yes. But I have like a bunch of plans against my windowsill. I have my books organized and I even have that basket trick, which I don't even realize it was a trick. (laughs) I was just like, I'm so tired of all this mess on my desk that one day I just got a basket through all the wires, the microphones, the chargers, all of that into that thing. And it's been really, really helpful. And I really loved how you even shared, you put yours in your closet because it's making me think about people who feel like their space is so cluttered. And I can also imagine if you have a small space everything can feel like it's on top of you. And so I know you gave us some like organizational tricks, but one I'm thinking about decluttering and the concept of how can people be more mindful of clutter, but you also come from a multicultural household. You have five people in your home. So how do we also learn to declutter as a family? (laughs) You know, I'm thinking about people who have kids and it's like, well, I put something here, but my husband does this or my partner does this or my kid does this. So how do we also make this team work? This is where I love my therapy side coming into the game because it's not just about baskets and trays and drawers and organization systems. It's about communication. Mm. And when it comes to communication, it's very easy to point the finger at the other person and say, you're messy. (laughs) You don't do this. You don't do that as a mom of three. And then I have two dogs and then a husband. Like, I feel like I have more than three kids, to be honest. (laughs) And it's very easy for me to be the manager, like the house manager, right? And say, this is all wrong. Everything's wrong. But what I really encourage people to do is find a neutral space. And again, I love using that dining room that a lot of people don't use anything for and have that be your neutral communication hub. 
once a week family meetings and having a designated neutral area. So not in the parents' room or the kids' room, like having it in a communal space and talking about what things are working, what things aren't, but really being mindful of people's feelings and bringing that empathy into the conversation before we start pointing fingers. Mm, That is so important. Communication. Communication. Also letting people know, like, these are my needs in the home. This is how we can support each other in the home. So I really, really love that you shared that. I also know, like, you just shared you're a mom to your children and your pets, right? And you've also been vocal about how being a mother has also influenced your design choices. So can you tell us a little more about what that process is for you? Absolutely. It's been such an evolution. When I talk to younger moms, even though my kids range from 17 to nine, my heart is still so fresh from those first time mommy seasons because I live in a very combined builder grade home. So the kitchen and the family room are squished into one rectangle space. And I remember as a young mom just thinking, I'll never get the space clean because the minute I clean up one thing, the toddler or the preschooler or the babies into the next mess. And now as my kids are older, we can definitely use our words, right? We can communicate more through our family meetings. But when they're so little, it was very overwhelming. So one of the things that I really tried to do is give myself grace. And this is to me a very important point is before you start tackling the physical environment, Acknowledge your internal environment first. You know, take a temperature check of your mood, of your kids' moods, of your partner's moods, and kind of empathize with yourself and with each other. And that will get your cortisol stress level down where we can think clear and problem solve a lot more effective. So that's one thing I learned that instead of being impulsive and going to Target and Ikea and buying 500 mm-hmm. bins and trying to solve the external problem, first kind of taking an internal check first and prioritizing, am I so anxious about making this space perfect or better because is it really about my kids and me or is it feeling inadequate because I just saw another mommy's home and it looked perfect? So really evaluating where these anxieties and insecurities, stressors are coming from, because then whatever you problem solve, it's for the longer term. You're not impulsively trying to fix something that's just like a temporary band-aid because of an emotional reaction to something. On a more practical note, I've evolved from trying to organize and design shared bedrooms of two little kids to now two teenagers who have their own design opinions. (laughs) And that was a journey. But recently I helped reorganize and design my middle daughter's bedroom. And it was a little frustrating in the beginning because I wanted her input, but it wasn't always the aesthetics that I would have chosen. But at the end, because we communicated, it was something that was within my budget for her. And it's something aesthetically that she's so much in love with. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but yes, I definitely understand parents who have to not only manage the home functionally, 
but also fulfill their aesthetic desires, right? Yeah. I mean, you definitely answered my question. I think that there were so many important takeaways. But there was one piece that you brought up just now and even before that I'm wondering, how does perfectionism manifest when people are trying to design their homes. And I'm thinking specifically about the power of community, which is what we've been talking about this season. And being somebody who kind of has like a open door policy where you're so used to so many people coming in, but at the same time, you kind of sometimes find yourself performing for these people where it's like, I'm used to having so many guests. I have such a large family. I can't have this type of furniture. My mom's going to come over and say X, Y, Z. Or if I have a barbecue this summer, everything needs to be like this or else my family is going to judge me. And so how do people start to lean away from perfectionism? But how can we also create a home environment that is nurturing and safe, that invites people in, but with some boundaries? When it comes to perfection, it is solely based on outcome-driven goals. So when you have a goal, that's obviously something so great. But when it's externally driven, like, oh, I want to lose 30 pounds so that I'll look amazing at the wedding. That's not necessarily a long-term goal, right? Because it's for that event and it's very externally driven. Or at home. I can't entertain anyone because my kitchen makes me so unhappy that there's no way that I even have the motivation to cook and entertain. That's very all or nothing. That's an externally focused reason of why I'll never entertain, you know? And so that's very perfectionistic thinking. What we want to move towards is what are our intentions? What's my intention for this get together? Is it to celebrate someone's birthday and we're just so excited about it? Or what's my intention for my bathroom remodel? Is it because all these years it's been so dark and I just can't wait to have that Arch Digest design look, which by all means we all love and want. So no problem with that. Or is it My intention for this space is that I can wake up and actually connect with myself and start my day right. So when you have anything like what you mentioned, those barbecues or your mom coming and going, why do you have a white couch? That is crazy. You have a dog and you have all kinds of friends coming over. That's just not smart. But maybe for you, It's a space where you want that white color to be the focus of the room. And if your intention is, this is where I feel most authentic to connect at home with, who's to judge, right? Who is to judge? So making that paradigm shift of external reasons to internal intentions and reasons will really help you overcome those perfectionistic hangups. You can fill your house with so many things for other people and then still feel lonely in it and empty in it and unhappy in it. And so I'm really happy that you shared everything that you shared, which makes me so excited now to talk about your book. 
because you mentioned it a few times and you've given us a few glimpses about what you talk about in your book, but I would really love for you to just share with us what inspired home therapy, what can we expect from home therapy as listeners grab a copy, but I really want to know your thought process in writing it. Writing my book, especially through the pandemic, was an eye-opener to just human behavior and how we reacted inside our homes. So as I was writing my book, there was a very strong idea of bringing awareness to the readers about intentionality. Before and maybe even now as the world has opened back up, we are back to our busy lives And oftentimes we go autopilot at home and we don't really have that intentionality of resting or taking a pause in our approach to our relationships, to ourselves, and to others who might be living in this space. So I wanted to find a way, a creative way to raise that awareness. And because I am now a therapist of 20 years turned interior designer, I love the idea of helping people through furniture plans that will improve their communication flow, not only their traffic flow through the home. So all of these ideas were very exciting for me to put into a book so that anyone could raise that awareness of intentionality at home, therefore bettering their lives. Mm, I love that. That vulnerability piece is so important especially in your home environment, you know, having safety in your home, creating a home that makes you feel safe, a home that nourishes you and restores you. It's just so, so beautiful. So I am so excited for people to grab a copy of your book and to start doing this work. And so, Anita, it's been wonderful having this conversation with you. And I'm going to ask you a question I ask all of my guests. I'm going to twist your question a tad bit because the question is, what does community care mean to you? But I would also love for you to connect that to interior design and how community care is also connected to our homes. It's funny you mentioned that. I just was at our local Ronald McDonald House. They're rebuilding and expanding three times larger than their original house. Not sure if everyone is aware, but Ronald McDonald houses are always situated near children's hospitals in various cities. And they help families who have children that are going through either cancer treatment or even a surgery. But it's a place for respite for the family to replenish, whether it's food or lodging. And it was a stark reminder for me that our home environment and community care can be hand in hand. So I love volunteering with nonprofits like that. However, you can even start small, which is in your own home. You know, my children and I, we oftentimes make fruit plates for the local senior center. And there's a lot of ways once we become more vulnerable and dig deep inside of what our interests are, as we build ourselves internally stronger, I think then our external goals of reaching out to the community will be that much more organic. Oh, I love that. It absolutely is hand in hand. You know, being your authentic self, like you said, digging deep, all of those things have been so wonderful to hear. So thank you so much, Anita. Please let people know where they can find you and also where they can buy a copy of your book. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is my name, Anita Yokota. I'm also on Pinterest. 
And for my book, it's wherever books are sold. So Amazon, Target, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, of course, but also a variety of independent bookstores. Oh, and Anthropology, which was a bucket list of mine. Thank you so much, Anita. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this conversation informative, please share today's episode with your friends and on your social media accounts. And of course, it would be greatly appreciated if you could take a moment to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of the Very Well Mind podcast as we explore the power of community.